Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. and welcome back to another episode of Tessa's Island Discs, where today I'm delighted to be joined by Nicola Lindgren. Nicola hails originally from Auckland in New Zealand and is now living and working as a senior tester and QA manager in Malmo, Sweden. In terms of what she does outside the workplace, where do I start? She's a, a highly regular blogger, a YouTube content creator, a conference speaker. She has created and hosted meetups, and she also works on workshops and training material as well. Most recently this year, she has become a published author. Her book, Starting Your Software Testing Career, is available now on LeanPub and also in shiny paperback on Amazon. Welcome to the podcast, Nicola. Thanks for having me, Neil. It's an absolute pleasure. You're joining the ranks of our, our previous Australasian guests, most recently uh, Sam Connolly, who was, I had to check, last August. It's been a year. I don't know where the time has gone. It feels like it's been six months, but um, it's, it's easier for us because you're obviously over here in Europe. What was the route for you um, going from New Zealand to, to over to Sweden? I actually met my former employer, House of Test, at a conference, Let's Test, back in 2015. Um, and I was at a point in my life where I thought it was good to move. Um, I'm going to speak a bit about this at um, an upcoming conference talk, but I was made redundant at a previous role, and I was young and single, so Europe seemed like a very appealing destination, and Sweden more specifically. So here I am. Yeah. Weirdly, I think that was the one let's test that I managed to get to as well. Uh, I, I've... Uh... I vaguely recall seeing you in passing there and also a few of the, the guests that you've interviewed on YouTube. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember you from that Let's Test that I went to. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Uh, weirdly, at a very similar time in my life, I was also freshly single and thinking about traveling the world. And I, I nearly moved to Australia. I think I've spoken about that in a previous episode. I, I was almost tempted to, to make a huge change, but but I didn't. But um, obviously your, your career was going uh, leaps and bounds. But that long list of other things that you do, which I don't think was even complete, but um, <laughs> how do you find the time to even tackle a small amount of that stuff outside of your working life? I have systems in place. Um, so I we always have two young children. I have a six-month, almost seven-month-old baby and a two-and-a-half-year-old. So two evenings a week, this is one of these evenings, I uh, get a bunch of stuff done. Um, these days I've been a lot more into creating and not as much consuming. I don't get to watch as much Netflix as I'd like or um, do as many courses as I'd normally do or read. I read like 30 or 40 books last year. Um, so I guess it's a case of choosing what to give up and um, having time blocking. So I so the, for this, it's easy, this interview. It's like, okay, one hour for this. Um, and, and that would say be for a blog post, um, half an hour to one hour to write this or to record a YouTube video. But yeah. Not really an exciting answer, but that's what I found works for me. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. It's, it's a constantly juggling the time that you could be spending doing other things. And certainly I've had things that have had to fall behind by the wayside for me. Obviously, I have a young child as well, but you know, mm. I used to play a lot of video games and I used to get obsessed with games like Civilization, which ask you to spend hundreds of hours. And I'm like, I actually can't start playing the new one because I know that a lot of other stuff will have to fall by the wayside if I do that. And it's all about uh, priorities. And obviously, it, it really helps if what you're doing in your free time is something you're passionate about because you know it doesn't feel like extra work it feels like something that you that you want to do mm. and in particular that, that's why i'm really interested in talking to you today because uh, i'm someone who's really desperate to to get into 
into publishing something. Uh, I studied mm-hmm. journalism at university many, many years ago and never really properly put it to use. Uh, it, it always gave me the eye for detail that I took with me into testing, but I, I've, I'm a really passionate writer and I feel like I've got a book in me. <laughs> and mm-hmm. this is why I really want to talk to you, not just about the book that you've created and what's in it, but also kind of some meta questions about what it even means to write a book and how you, you know, you, you go down the route of going from the germ of the idea to putting something into actual physical paperback, which is going to be really fun to, to talk about. Mm. But before we do that, let's not talk about books. Let's talk about songs. So the purpose of this podcast, for those of you who are new to us, um, the guest has asked to pick five songs that best represent either their favorite songs or, you know, times in their life that um, where music brings back a memory for them. Nicola, what's the first song that you've chosen today? Uh, it's by Zion and Linux, La Botella. So it's the bottle in Spanish. The reason I chose this song is it reminds me of Nicaragua. When I was, I think, 23 or 25 or something, I volunteered in Nicaragua. And when we went clubbing, this was the song that I really enjoyed dancing to. Zion and Lennox with La Bodea, bringing back memories of Nicola's time in Nicaragua. So let's talk about your book, Nicola. Uh, starting your software testing career, I've thumbed through a copy myself. What drove you uh, originally to decide to create uh, such a book? It was originally supposed to be a blog post, and then as it got longer, a blog post series, and then it eventually became a book. Uh, I felt like, or I still do feel like, I've learned a lot in my career, and I've been involved in online communities, not just um, on the Ministry of Testing's club, but also, say, on Reddit. And I found that the same sorts of questions kept coming up again and again, like how do I start my career, Um, advice you'd give to someone who's new in testing. And I thought it'd be a good idea to share that knowledge in a more formalized way. Yeah, there's definitely a gap there. There is a a gap between someone either deciding they want to get into testing for the first time or they find an entry level job. But then there's the gap between, you know, even like doing your ISTQB, if that's what you should choose to do. Mm. It's like, well, okay, now I'm a tester. What does that mean? What does that involve? What does my day to day look like? And at the moment, the only way of really doing that is, is getting hands on. Whereas having a book like yours, that's actually a primer on, well, these are the kind of different types of testing we're talking about. And this is what it even means to why you would even write automation it's it's a really really useful taster for what you're getting yourself into thank you thank you and i mean i, I remember like when i was trying to figure out what to include in the book i remember making sure that some of the reviewers were ones who were earlier on in their career and you can kind of forget what it's like to be new and what you wanted to learn um so i made sure to include things on like the typical day um like mistakes, uh, that sort of thing, so that hopefully it'd add value in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I should say it's not just for people who are new to testing full stop because of the way it's structured and the fact that you've got all these different types of testing that are spoken about. If you are someone, for example, who is looking to get into automation for the first time or who finds themselves working with APIs, there's a really good primer to, well, again, what does it even mean to test any of these things? 
And I think one of the reasons why a book like this can benefit is because a lot of traditional training and certification in particular is really guided towards benefiting the people that create create the training. Like uh, ISTQB, for example, they obviously, they create a certification that you can take, but also they then sell the exam. So of course Mm. they are encouraged to get people to take it. Mm. What I think we need more of in the industry and that this is really helping with is content created to benefit the person who is consuming it. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because you kind of think that's a given um, that you think about your audience and what needs do they have. Um, But at the end of the day, it's one thing to write a book as like a side project hobby. It's another thing to create something that is your business and maybe that affects how people approach things. Mm. That's one of the things that I'm deeply concerned with when, when I start to think about writing long form myself is whatever I write, it shouldn't be self-indulgent. Like you, you need to be able to talk about your own experiences, but also in a way that people can relate to. Like mm. no one is sitting down to read your life story unless, you know, unless it's your autobiography, for example. But like it needs to be something that people can relate to and where they can take practical advice away from it. And I think you've really drawn that out through having contributions uh, from interviewees within the book. Um, mm. And we will be talking about this a bit more in the next section um, after we hear from your second song. Uh, so the second song is Alben Jonsson and Christian Amparo, Den Soldat. I chose this song. Uh, it means your soldier in Swedish. I chose this song because it makes me think of um, studenten in Sweden. So one cool thing is when gymnasium or I think the high school equivalent, when those students graduate, they rent out um, trucks and then they dance on the trucks and drive around the city <laughs> tooting their horns and playing loud music. I really liked listening to this song when they passed by. So it's, it's a really cool. If you, if you Google Sudenten um, in Sveria and you'll see a bunch of 19-year-olds um, maybe dressed in white with little captain sailor hats dancing in trucks. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Har du också tänkt om jag flyr Kommer allting bli bra inuti Har du också fattat till slut att den enda som kan rädda dig är du Du behöver inte bära allt själv Vi har känt att precis som du känns Jag har sett hur den där skiten alltid tär på dig Jag kommer kriga för din skull och finnas där för dig När du stupar nästa gång så vill jag bära dig Låt mig höra din soldat That was Albin Jonsen and Kristen Amporo with Din Soldat, uh, a collection of names that meant I spent a long time searching on Google for how to pronounce them. Uh, mm. I'll also add a link in the show notes to uh, some videos of those uh, students uh, in their sailor outfits dancing on trucks so you can see what the fuss is all about. So, Nicola, we were talking about your book, uh, Starting Your Software Testing Career, and you mentioned that it began as an idea that may have been a series of, of blog posts. Um, presumably, a book is more than just a series of blog posts sort of stitched together. What sort of differences do you have to think of when you're going from just doing short form blog posts to producing a book? I write the blog for me. Um, so the difference is who gets the value from it, or at least so this, so this is the differences for me when I do these things. Mm. Um, so often when it comes to a blog post, I have these thoughts that are swirling in my head and writing and, and I guess publishing later helps me clarify those thoughts. Whereas the book 
was constantly about like how like how do I add value to other people but specifically to people who are starting their testing career um and then having to have some sort of overall red thread and making sure it made sense because with my blog posts while I it'd be nice if others could understand what I was saying I don't care about that as much like if it didn't really make as much sense to people Mm. um I mean it's not nice but I don't think it's too much of a big deal but if you spent all this time writing a book and then people are like what the hell is she on about um then I would feel like I missed the mark so at the point when you started to think, well, this is maybe going to be a book, how much of it had you got sort of written at that point and how much of it was um, like an outline? By the time I realized that it would be a book, about half the chapters were had an outline or maybe about two thirds and they were expanded. So it was like bullet points upon bullet points and just not really full sentences, just a lot of thoughts down on paper. And throughout the book, you've got lots of contributions from from interviewees, from people in, in the world of testing. Uh, at what sort of point did you start to, to engage those in the process? Like, did you did you get a, an article or a chapter like written first and then and then went out sort of pitching for questions of, of input for that particular title, for that particular chapter? Or did you um, did you sort of interview people first and then work out where you could put their bits in? I had the outline already in mind before I knew or before I wanted to approach people. As soon as I realized it was going to be a book, I knew I would have to interview people because there are certain areas that I thought needed to be in the book or certain topics that I didn't have as much experience in. Uh, Crowdsource testing would be the one that I knew I had to get some sort of input in. The second thing was input around test automation, the person who I interviewed a lot for it has a lot more experience on me in the topic. Um, sponsorship, I've, I, I've never, I don't think I've sponsored someone. So I interviewed someone who sponsored someone. So it's, it's, it was a case of recognizing what I felt the book needed, where am I lacking, and then getting, accessing that knowledge from someone else. I think that collaboration is is really helpful. And it's maybe one of the things that has put me off to date is mm. I am worried that if I start writing on a topic that I will need to sound like I am an authority in it. And I think that um, either by chance or by deliberate nature, like you've, you've, you've circumvented that by going, actually, I know I'm not the expert in everything, but here is an actual excerpt from somebody who does this day in, day out, who can mm. give you the expert yeah. advice on it. Yeah. I mean, it can kind of be scary to admit you don't know everything on say software testing especially when you you're writing and selling a book on the topic um but then if i was to turn the question around i would have trouble believing that someone could know everything about such a broad career and mm. never have to ask someone else or get some sort of input from someone else um, because there's going to be some topics that even if you know it there's someone else who knows it better than you and it'd be awesome yeah. to have that person's input. Yeah. Uh, like I say, it's, it's such a wide net when you're, tr- when you're trying to cover the entirety of what testing involves, you know, it's, it's not something that you can, you can't specialize in everything. Uh, and, and again, I have this, this germ of an idea up my sleeve to the extent that I've, I've registered, registered a, a domain name for it this week. So like it's Ooh. something might actually happen soon uh, by the time this episode comes out. But my concern is I'm, we're going to talk about this in an upcoming section, but 
I'm trying to widen the scope as much as possible to increase the potential size of the audience to the extent that I'm wary it's becoming a self-help book. And there's enough of those already. And I can't compete with people who have you know, millions of followers who actually want to read what someone specific has to say. And I'm beginning to realize actually a targeted book that hits a particular audience really well can be just as valuable and, you know, to the individuals who receive it. Mm. I remember worrying a little bit that my book was too targeted. Like you did say that even if you're not just starting your testing career, um, Mm. my book would also gain value or or provide value to, to such people. Um, but my target audience with everything I was writing was like, okay, is this useful to someone who's new or about to start? Is this useful to someone who's new or about to start? Um, and th- I think, I don't know if it's like a quote. It's like, if you're trying to make everyone happy, you'll make no one happy. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I would rather make the small demographic very happy. And then it, everyone else is a bonus. Um, yeah. And, and I, it's, just, then it's also easier to think about a smaller group's needs and wants as opposed to, a lot of people, or at least that that was the case for me. Yeah. I know a particular group who would have found this really useful. Uh, A few months back uh, in my last role, I was um, going through an ISO accreditation where basically you have to say for, you know, in very long, complicated documentation, like what sort of training all of your people of each different discipline have had and what's their like base of knowledge. (laughs) And like, you know, we could point to what we put on people's like job descriptions and say, well, we hope people can do this stuff. But mm. if we had literally a copy of your book and said, everyone has a basic grounding and understands that this is what it means to do testing. And obviously we, we build on top of that and this is the, the, the foundation for it. But like, I didn't have one thing that I could point to. And I, I think your book is, is really, really valuable for that. Mm. Thank you. Um, there's plenty more to talk about in the upcoming sections. Uh, I've got so many questions that I'm coming to bounce into later sections, but we're <laughs> approaching the the halfway point uh, of the episode, which means the halfway point of your songs. What's the third song you've chosen today, Nicola? Jay Williams, You Got Me. Uh, not as exciting as the previous songs. I discovered the song at a group fitness class at university and it was great for squats, so still <laughs> I like to do squats to the beat of the song or like body weight squats um, for different counts. But yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> hope you're all joining in doing squats at home that's jay williams with you got me now nicola let's talk a little bit more about the actual process of getting a book into print either electronic print or, or paperback um you obviously we've gone we've gone through the process of the fact that you had a series of, of chapters slash blogs that then came together to form a whole did you all to have like a an overall review process like once you thought you had finished did you send it out to lots of people or a few people or you know how do you feel when you receive feedback back is, is that like a, a double-edged sword um so during the review process or during um when i sent out the first finished version not final but finished mm-hmm. um i asked for feedback on 
what they liked, what they didn't like, what they found useful, um, and then just reminding them, this is my target audience. Um, it felt, when it, when the feedback came, obviously the, the positive feedback felt good. I also appreciated getting some concrete advice as to where people got confused and mm-hmm. reminding me of things that I wasn't making explicit. Say so they said, look, yes, this is clear to me because I mean, some of the reviewers had like a bit more experience than me, but they reminded me that someone who's new in testing probably don't know what I'm talking about here. So I had to add an extra definition or change my use of words or um, define the acronym that I forgot to define. Um, in terms of getting it into print, uh, I self-published. So once everything was finalized and I had added all the chapters, I did um, a proof copy with Amazon. So you get a physical copy of your book and then you get to see how things look and feel. Um, and you'll spot some things that don't feel quite right. They, they technically make sense grammatically, but they look weird and they feel weird on paper. And then you can make those changes. And then it was the final version that I um, sold on Amazon. So you you created the book through LeanPub. Is is there actually a mechanism within LeanPub to to link to Amazon and say send this across to Amazon, or is it a, se- a separate process? Uh, you would export a print ready PDF, and then you would mm-hmm. upload that file to Amazon. You would just have to choose the dimensions of the book, but there's like a default one that was pre-selected um, that worked for me. And then the only difference between, or the main difference between that and like a normal PDF is that um, the, the inner margins are a bit bigger because when you read a book, um, you can't read text that's in the very inside. So all the text is slightly out, if that makes any sense. And you mentioned earlier that you'd originally started putting this together in a series of, of Google Docs. What was the experience like getting those into LeanPub? Because LeanPub primarily it's written in in Markdown. Is that right? Yes, yes. Um, um, you did, could did use. You, did you have to do a, a lot of of hacking bits together, like where you just bolded up text in Google Docs? Um. Yeah, because I, I I was actually writing the even um, when I knew it would be a book, I was still writing it in um, Google Docs and then copy pasting. Um, the text into LeanPub and adding uh, the, for- the the markdown formatting. So it was it was time consuming, but then when you've been doing it long enough, it kind of became a muscle memory that it didn't feel so bad. Hmm. I'm going to ask so many specific questions again. Wary wary of actually putting off the audience, but um, like just things I'm generally interested in. Like throughout the book, you've got like little tips, and there's like a little tip icon. Hmm. Is that something? Is that like a like a widget in LeanPub? Is it like a special markdown to do a tip or does that take a lot of effort to put one of those in? There was a special type of markdown called Makua Mm. that supported. So we were able to, you you can do that in markdown and then if you, they have different writing modes. So for example, you could do it. So that was the in-text editor in LeanPub. You also could do it in GitHub. So when we wrote, how can I test this? um, We had a repo um, and then we would, um, create our book that way. Um, but then the, if you were to use a word editor, then the sort of formatting isn't supported. So 
don't use the word editor because then you can't do you can't make things look as nice as you can with the markdown editor yeah you end up backing yourself into a corner which which is what i feared about when you were talking about google docs originally but um, one yeah. of the things i really like one of the things i really like about leanpub and and anything that that primarily is, is focused on using markdown is by design it's going to be simple and clean and clear to read which is what you're really looking for from a book and mm. equally it means that when you try and migrate it to like if you were to produce like a, a kindle or an e-reader copy again you're not worrying so much about complex graphics or anything it's literally just it's going to reflow text with with headers and it's just all going to make sense mm, mm. Uh, you mentioned briefly there um how can i test this this is your your next book slash collaboration that's uh, on the way yes so we currently have the uh, the mvp out mm. it is complete except for one chapter which i'm still working on it's just it's currently on google docs being expanded it's just not um progress is going embarrassingly slow uh, you so don't have to make any, any excuses on the time front like I, i've seen the number of other things that you put out in the past few months i, I could excuse not having time to write a chapter of a book yeah no, the, the thing is like with like writing the blog posts and, and the previous chapters is it sounds weird about how my mind works. It's like the things swirl on my head and then at some point they just start to settle and then I just need to get in front of a laptop and that kind of writes itself, which is, <laughs> sounds a bit strange. Um, but yeah. with this chapter, like um, there's a specific project I was on that I'm going to use as an example. Obviously I'll anonymize it. Um, I've got, I know the, um, the tests and uh, all the suggestions. It's just, jumbling too much in my head and I'm I'm, re I'm struggling to have it make sense to another person it's only currently making sense to me it feels so yeah but you can, <laughs> yeah. You, can you can buy it currently and you can I mean I learned a lot from writing the book because the great thing about having co-authors is they bring their own ideas um forward as well but um yeah it's uh I was really hoping it would be complete by now <laughs> Well, we're recording this a little bit in advance, so who knows? Maybe by the time it goes to air, uh, it will be. Uh, either way, mm. there will be a link to the, the work in progress on Leanpub. I'll put that in the show notes, uh, along with a link to other things that we talked about today. Um, but yeah, we're up now to your fourth song, um, which is, um, I'll be honest with you, we had an episode last Christmas where we asked guests to like pick their favourite songs of the year. And this was my second choice. It didn't quite make it for my pick for Christmas, uh, but I'm delighted that you brought it to us. Um, can you tell the audience what it is? BTS Dynamite. It is by a Korean boy band, and this song is so catchy and makes you happy. Uh, I, My daughter went through a phase of wanting to listen to the song again and again and again and again, and we've had some great dance parties in the living room because of the song. That was BTS appearing on the podcast for the first time, much to my delight, with the song Dynamite. Now, Nicola, let's move on to talk about some of the other content that you've been putting out, um, particularly on YouTube recently. Like, 
I would say in the past couple of months, you've put out like a year's worth of my ideas, like the, not just like number of videos, but like the different formats, like you've experimented with using YouTube shorts. Uh, you've got like nice title slides on there. You've got a whole different array of ideas of what you actually want to do. How much of this is, I mean, you mentioned, for example, that you pick two nights a week to, to produce some content or do some work. How much of it comes together in the moment or how much of it um, is planned deeply up front? I plan one or two videos in advance. I have a note on my phone with a bunch of video ideas, and then I expand on bullet points, um, details on that. But yeah, I kind of technically planning it up front, but not super in, in advance. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's again, one of these things like I hate trying to deal with algorithms and how to get your content out there, but the number of different things that you're trying, uh, you know, it's, it's not the same thing every week. You know, it's, it's, Hey, there's something, I mean, I was a really big fan of the one you did recently where you, you found your CV from like a decade ago and you compared that to, to what your CV looks like now. And, and like, I, I found one of mine from a similar, similar time ago and I would like to do something very similar because like people, people don't do that again, talking about how to put together a good CV, you kind of, a lot of people, they get the first CV they ever create and then they just add each job role into it and they never think about changing it ever again. And mm. um, I, I was was really interested in how you reflected on what you had before and, and, and what it looks like now. Mm. And I think, like, I personally love concrete, like, real examples. And I figured I can't be the only person who's like that. I would have, um, like, for example, I've talked about testing notes and preventing bugs and that sort of thing in the past and test automation and if I could share those things um, with other people, I would, but I'm not allowed to. My CV, on the other mm -hmm. hand, I have, I own the, the rights to that. So I can, um, I, can, I can share that, which is really, really nice. And then like in terms of experimenting with different formats, um, I don't know. Like I think the, the cool thing with a short is it's like one minute to record. Mm. So then I can... I don't have to overthink it, but the, the reason I actually created YouTube videos in the first place was one to push myself out of my comfort zone. I like, I like challenging myself and it's kind of scary putting your face online as opposed to just your words <clears throat> or just your voice, like in this, um, in this interview. And the second thing is to become more eloquent. I realized in some earlier podcast interviews this year I didn't like how often I had said filler words and I felt it made me sound a little bit stupid. <laughs> so with the YouTube videos, one thing I'm trying to force myself is to only give myself like a maximum of one or two takes and then uploading that. So I'm not aiming for perfection, but by practicing, my hope is that I will sound more eloquent over time. Yeah. I've got the conference talks in September and I'm trying to sound more eloquent. I mean, I've become a bit out of practice by not speaking at conferences for a few years since we've had children and since um, there's been a pandemic. So it's kind of using this peer pressure on myself to force myself to get better. Yeah, I need to, to start drilling this myself a bit as well. Uh, I used to edit this podcast myself for the first couple of years until mm. uh, MOT got themselves an editor. Um, 
much to my delight but oh nice the the act of having to edit out all of my ums made me stop saying um because i i was the one who had to go back and edit it but since i've stopped doing it i have got a bit lazy again i sometimes speak a bit too fast and there is that permanence of of both audio and visual content where you can't just go back and change a paragraph like you can with a blog post or you know re-edit a page you know mm. you, you do have to try and get it right first time I, I really like what you said about the shorts the fact that you know maybe only we only move in a space where maybe if we're lucky a few hundred people will look at our videos not like the millions that you get for whatever's popular these days <laughs> but mm, you know mm. if, if, it, if it's only taken you a minute to record and you're happy with what comes out then then who cares you know you've you've you've, you've tried it you move on to the next thing and i guess given the the nicheness Nicheness isn't a word, but I'm going to leave it in. Because <laughs> yeah, we'll do it in one take. Nicheness, given the nicheness of what we do, um, getting your content in front of the people who actually want to see it can be a real challenge. And one of the things that you use really, really well is is Twitter. I, I am taking a big break myself from Twitter to the extent that I've kind of semi-deactivated my account. Um, like it, it's there because I don't want to break links where people are linked to my stuff, but I'm trying to keep off it. But then I look at your Twitter account and I see how well you are not just promoting what you put out there, but encouraging, for example, contributions to what you're doing and acting as a real platform for the the Nicola brand. <laughs> How much does Twitter sort of feed your energies versus drain it? I'd say it feeds my energy a lot because I do learn from my feed and I do create my like the people I follow based on who I think will add value to me. Um, so it doesn't drain me um i don't follow people who i think are negative i don't follow people who i have nothing to learn from so yeah it, it gives me energy yeah i'm trying to embrace kind of the the, the passive side of things uh, while i'm just consuming it like i want to consume it in a way that doesn't harm me and sometimes that means playing it safe and not getting involved in, in debates and there is a thin line between debate and argument and particularly on Twitter, like mm. it, it very quickly spills over from one to the other. Uh, and you have, you have to be wary of, of things like personal attacks. But uh, the only way I found to do it safely for now is just by taking myself out of the conversation. But again, at the point in which I start creating content and I want to tell people about it, Twitter and you know Instagram and the likes are going to be the places to go to do it. And I, I think I need to, to learn to have a healthier relationship with it. Mm. And like in, in terms of like promoting it, I, I found LinkedIn to be very helpful as well um i prefer twitter i don't know it feels like a not a safer space it feels like a more interesting space to be in um i I haven't really used instagram um that much in the past year or so but i um i I have found twitter to be quite good and the one thing i've I've tried to do i think i like read this advice somewhere is to add value so one thing i do try to be mindful of is does this tweet add value i'm not like it sounds sounds i keep talking about value but like i i remember when i started thinking about that then my following really increased and it's a weird like it's a vanity metric don't get me wrong but it seems that i'm not the only person who wants to gain value by going through the home feed you know what i mean yeah yeah, I think one of the things that I've learned is that, as well as things that provide value, but like getting involved in a conversation, you should treat it as as an investment. Like you should not engage in something if you're not 
willing to stick with it. Like in the same way mm. as a, at, at a conference, if there was a conversation going on, like a huddle of people, you wouldn't just walk up into that conversation, chuck in a thought and then walk out of the room again. Like if you're going to contribute to this, then, you know, stick at it. Yeah, I try to. I do try to do that. Some conversations have gotten very busy. I got overwhelmed, so I would mute it because um, it's not. I don't think it's healthy, at least for me, to have a lot of notifications. I've had to um, be rude to people online by not replying to make things easier on myself. Um, but it's like a good reminder that while it, you do get a certain amount of satisfaction interacting with people online, if I ever feel like it takes away from me being mentally present um, here, like where I am physically, then I'm, I'm going to back off. So sometimes I'm like not writing or I'm not using it for a few days or a day or anything like that. Um, Cause I realize that one, I don't have anything to say and I'm not going <laughs> to say something or reply to tweets when I have no, when I, have nothing in my mind to share. Uh, the second thing would be if I feel like my mind has mentally drifted to online when I'm physically with my children or my husband, then I know I need to do a reset. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. And it's, it's one of the reasons that I didn't just press delete on the Twitter account that I could have done. Uh, and partly, partly that's not wanting to lose the followers that I built up over time, which again is a vanity metric. But, you know, I know there is value to be found there. And it's it's not for me right now, but there's going to come a time, particularly if, if I get my book off the ground as well, where mm. having access to a pool of people who are interested in what I'm doing will be really valuable. Mm. Uh, and, and talking about, you know, giving it focus and investing the right amount of time. Just a, a quick book recommendation from something that I read recently was a, a book called Make Time, uh, How to Focus on What Matters Every Day uh, by Jake Knapp and John Zaratsky. And that's a really, really useful book about learning to focus on what matters to you in the moment. Very similar to the book, The One Thing, which is another really good one I read recently about just working out what it is that you want to do right now and just doing that and, and pushing other stuff to the side. And it's the book that's it convinced me that right now I don't need Twitter, but that's not to say that Twitter isn't valuable. Uh, and I look forward to to re-engaging with all of you on there at some point soon. But in the meantime, I've taken up enough of Nicola's time. Uh, so we're going to wrap up with a, a fifth and final song choice today. My final song recommendation is Dua Lipa Levitating. I think the song's very catchy and my husband and I like to randomly sing parts of it to each other when we're doing dishes in the kitchen or just doing random stuff at home I, I feel like we're forever every time we get together but whatever let's go lost on Mars you want me I want you baby my sugar boo I'm levitating the Milky Way we're renegating yeah 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 I got you moonlight you're my starlight I need you all night come on dance with me that was Dua Lipa with Levitating, uh, the second appearance on the podcast for Dua Lipa, last picked in episode 33 by Corinna, who picked uh, Be The One. And on our way out, we spent a long time today, Nicola, talking about your book, um, but you're allowed to bring to the island one book of your choice. Uh, whose book would you like to bring with you? Guns, Germs and Steel by Jared Diamond. I borrowed this book from the library, uh, and even though I've read it, I think it's a book that you need to read a few times to have it all sink in. It's a great book in explaining how society is the way it is, 
for example, why some countries are rich, why some countries are poor, how natural resources are um, distributed uh, um, across the world and how that's effect- affected um, people's health, uh, people's wealth and so on. So I would definitely be keen to get my hands on that book and read it undisturbed in the future. Yeah, I think it was written in, in 97 or 98 and certainly guns, germs and well resources still all very hot topics right now and perhaps even hotter than in, in 98. Um, I think it's the first Pulitzer Prize for nonfiction winner that's on the island selection. So you've elevated it to an extent. Uh, so we'll put that on, on, on the, the list that's available on Goodreads. It's linked in the show notes. Uh, all of Nicola's songs will be on the Spotify playlist. And that's also in the, in the show notes. And that brings us to the end of our time together. And it's been a uh, Absolute delight to talk to you, Nicola. Um, it's really benefited me personally, and I think it's been really interesting for people to listen to. If they would like to get in touch with you and hear more about you, where's the best way to do that? I can be found online through my blog, nicolalinkedin.com. My Twitter handle is Nicola Lincoln, and I have a YouTube channel. Just look up my name, and hopefully you'll find the new YouTube channel that I created that um the old one still needs to be deleted um i will definitely yeah. put a link to that i'll def- definitely put a link to that youtube channel in the show notes it's uh, again i try to keep my subscriptions to a minimum uh, on youtube just because it, it's it's more stuff for the the information bucket that gets in front of your eyes and, you know it's, it's notification and everything but you, your content has been really valuable so I, i'm going to make sure there's a link uh, to that in there um if you've got anything interesting coming up you mentioned um, you've got a talk coming up in september yes i will be giving my talk invest in yourself at Test It in Malmö, Sweden in September. I don't remember the exact date. And then at, at the end of September, I'll be giving that same talk at Sunday conference in Bratislava, Slovakia. Awesome. We are getting into, into conference season uh, as the... Uh... The summer starts to pass us by. I'm not sure where it's gone. At, mm. uh, incredibly, also, um, it's it's Test Bash UK uh, next month. Before the next episode comes out, that's happening this year uh, at Manchester. It's the one in-person Test Bash in the UK this year uh, at the Lowry. Uh, hoping to be there myself. Uh, it largely depends on um, whether I have secured a new job by the time this episode comes out because um, I'm finding it hard to justify paying a price for a conference ticket if I'm not actually... Um, in work at the moment but uh, we'll see i uh, hope to see some of you there and if you're interested in appearing on the podcast uh, i'm still slowly getting through the list of people dating back to 2017 who've applied to be on the podcast but if anyone has anything particularly fresh and relevant that they want to talk about right now we can make a space for you so there's a link in the show notes to the form where you can enter what your proposed five songs are and you can change them as you go along if, if you should decide to that will be linked in the description as well and there we go. Um, very delighted to have secured one of your blocks of time for the week, Nicolette. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I will speak to the rest of you back here at the end of September. Bye. Testers on Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing, written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island.